Welcome to March 5 Music Podcast. My next guest, writer, producer, BET executive, will talk Spike Lee, Black Entertainment Television, and the Harlem Hall of Fame. Give it up for John Mark Sandifer. All right, I would like to welcome Mr. John Mark Sandifer. How you doing, sir? I am fine in yourself. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, nothing but the best, but the best I'm talking to right now. It's a, it's a big thing. We're both New Yorkers, and uh, John has a lot going on, and we like to kind of jump in. So tell me, man, you know, I'm from Brooklyn, and I know you're from Harlem. So let's talk yeah, about I'm it, man. I'm not going to hold that against you. You know <laughs> Because you seem like good people. Right, right. There are some good people in Brooklyn. <laughs> but, um, and I will say this. Yeah. You know, both of our areas, both Brooklyn and Harlem, are heavily being gentrified. Right. These days, you know, very, very swiftly. Right. right so, right. you know, the, the animosity between boroughs right. is a thing of the past. Thing of the past. That's right. That's why we're talking up, right now. <laughs> growing up. We didn't like Brooklyn, Brooklyn didn't like Harlem. Right. Harlem didn't go to Brooklyn, Brooklyn didn't go to Harlem. Even if you have family in different places, you that's gotta right. eat that out. That's know? right. That's right. You sneak um, in and you sneak out, right? It's very different now. <laughs> you know? it's, it's very different now. You know, there's trees, there's coffee shops, there's dogs everywhere. Yeah. Good time. Yeah. 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 So what was it like growing well, up on well, your on well, your I'm sorry, on your side, what was it like growing up in Harlem, you know, at that era? Because we're we're probably close to the same age, so I'm just curious, what was the Harlem era like, the Renaissance at that time? Um, now let's, let's be clear. I, I didn't come up in the Harlem Renaissance. There you go. Uh, but there was a Renaissance period, and kind of like that late '80s, early '90s, kind of driven by hip hop. Um, but even before we got there, just coming up in Harlem, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised 152nd Street between Nansen and Broadway. Now, I got into it with Congressman Charlie Rangel because he tried to tell me, he said, hey, you know, John, that's not, that's, I'm like, what are you talking about? 152nd <laughs> Street. First of all, Joel Santana, right? Dipset, Harlem, 153rd. Right. right? I'm down the block, 152nd from Dance Theater of Harlem. Yes. So growing up back then, I went to the prestigious modern school that was founded by Mildred Johnson on the block on 152nd wow. Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, she is the daughter of Edmund Johnson. Um, they're they're the and, and his brother James Weldon Johnson, right? So they're the the brothers who wrote the Black National Anthem. Gotcha. Their daughter Mildred Johnson founded the modern school in Harlem, a school that I attended. Um, a school that has a lot of history, a lot of legacy to right. it. My classmates of mine that I went there with, their parents went there as well. So it wasn't some new school that mm -hmm. came up in Harlem around my time. No, it had been there since the, the mid-40s. Gotcha. You know, um, just growing up, I, I attended the Barnard School. I, I did my after-school programs at Minisync. Um, which my mom well went to Minisync and my wife went to Minisync. Uh, unbelievable. Wow. Well, well known after-school program. Yes, yes. Um, I went to Minisync. You know, I, I was a child of the neighborhood, but, you know, I think people like to glorify Harlem. Right. You know, they talk about the music, the culture and everything, and don't get it twisted. Harlem is the epicenter of black culture, right? right? 
not not the epicenter of black culture in New York, not the epicenter of black culture in the country, the epicenter of black country in the world. Black, That's right. Black culture in the world, right? So, but there's some other things that come with Harlem. You know, uh, there there's the good and the bad. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Harlem that you know when you, you talk to some people, they get nothing but bad stories of, of things that have happened over there, and that's part of it. Um, but the one thing you don't understand, like you're 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 from the neighborhood, you don't have to be of the things that are happening. There. That's right. So you know, I was I was one that never got caught up in whether it was gangs or drugs or anything like that. Just didn't interest me. Yeah. Um, what did interest me was the arts. What did interest me is business. I'm probably my career has been heavily media, oh. uh, TV, film, my entire professional life. Wow. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I would say, you, you, someone asked me an interesting question, which I didn't think someone would ever ask me. They said, "Hey, you know, if somebody would make a movie about your life." Who would play you? And I was like, I'm not, you know, nobody's gonna make a movie about my life, right? right. But yeah, but if that story is gonna be told, my story is a story that parallels the the Reginald Lewis's, the Bob Johnsons. I'm more so, I'm a good 70% in that space, 30% creative, even though that 30% is right. a full 30%. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that yeah. drives yeah. everything. But for the most part, I, I approach everything from a business perspective. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I grew up. Okay. Uh, shaped who I am. You know, when, you know, Harlem's known for the hustle. That's right. So if you ever hear Cameron or Mace or Jim Jones, any of those guys right. uh, talk about how they move or, or Dame Dash. Another, right. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. Another Harlem boy. Yeah. It's going to be very similar and no matter what they're doing whether they're uh anesthesiologist working at Harlem hospital whether they're an entrepreneur who owns a flower shop on 126th street whether they run a restaurant there's going to be something within them that's very similar right and that's that we're going to get it we're going to make it happen it's, it's, it's done that's something you can't pay for yeah, you can. You know, I've had this conversation with you know a lot of people, and and it's it's, it's something that you're born with. Um, so I, I can't necessarily even say it's a Harlem thing because you don't learn it, but you can be around that energy, right? You know, you right. can be around that energy and kind of get that energy and get the get the notion of this is how we're moving as you're growing up. You know, as you're getting this, you know, whether in your barber shops with your parents or this or that and that. You know, if that energy is around you. Right, you're gonna get it. Yeah. Um, there's so much history to Harlem that, you know, I, as a person in media, as an executive at BET, I've done interviews and produced a number of shows, so I know the importance of archival history. Right. I know the importance of of these drives that right. you know. Sure. As long as these exist. The things and that people have said in the interviews that I've done will live somewhere. Absolutely. Now, now the issues I've had in the neighborhood of gentrification is, you know, a lot of the history is being washed away. Right. You know, and, and it's 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 not being replaced. You know, I, I can understand if they took something away and they, they at least put a plaque there and said, you know, right. here was the such and such, or right. That's not happening. 
you know, um, you're you're familiar with Harlem, absolutely. Your wife, so, absolutely. So yeah. You look at places like Lennox Lounge, gone. You're talking about places that you know Malcolm X was hanging out at. Dizzy Martin, Gillespie. Dizzy Gillespie and her played there. When Martin Luther King and Ralph Abernathy came to New York at night, they hit up Lennox Lounge. That's right. Right. Um, gone. It's gone. So, so what happened? You know, what happens in these situations is, you know, the 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 property becomes valuable. Right. And now, if people, if people, one of the problems we've had in the community, we don't own the property. That's right. So you would think a place like Lennox Lounge, who's been there X amount of years, oh, that's their building. Right. No, it's not. It's unbelievable, so man. The value of the neighborhood is going up and Harlem's becoming this popular entity that everyone wants to live in. The people who own that space can say, you know what? That five, ten thousand dollars we were charging you per month, your new lease is gonna be thirty thousand a month. Right. If you can't afford it, you gotta go. And that's what's happening to a lot of these businesses, but they're not just businesses, they're history. Exactly. Right? So one of the things I wanted to do, and this started off, and yeah, I, I've been thinking about ways to preserve the culture for a long time. Okay. Um, as I've journeyed to other city, cities like Virginia, like New Orleans, um, like parts of North Carolina, you can walk down the street and see standing plaques. That's right. Yeah. They give you history of what happened in this area, right? Right. Um, and again, I had this conversation with Charlie Rangel because it's not like Harlem doesn't have institutions of history and legacy. They do. Right. Um, when you look at the Schomburg. That's right. Lennox Avenue. Yeah, absolutely. That culture. Mm -hmm. you, you have the Schomburg. You also have. Um, not not only the Schomburg, you have the Studio Museum of Harlem. Right. But I said to Charlie Rangel, I said, I said to Congressman Rangel, I gotta put the handle on it. Gotta put the handle. Gotta put the handle on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie, you could Charlie will call us up. Listen, man, Charlie, it's Congressman. Out of the house right now. <laughs> <laughs> gotta put the handle on right, it. Right, right. I said, look, do you have any place where you can go where you can see a replica of the room that Teddy Riley lived in at St. Nick Projects, right? Right. Keyboards and everything where he made the, the record for Dougie Fresh to show when he was 16. That's right. He's like, no, we don't have that. I said, do we have a place where we can go see the uniforms encased of Lando Calrissian? Right. With the stormtroopers on the side. Right. And Lady Williams, right? Sure. Um, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back. People like this. They don't even know that he came from Harlem. Like you don't know. Right. Billy D. Williams is one of those people where you don't necessarily know where he came. You're like, did he come from Detroit? Because he did so much with Barry Gordy and right. Adam Ross and, and, and Motown. You're thinking to yourself, like, maybe he's from Detroit. No, it's from Harlem. So when you start looking at the history, Sammy Davis Jr. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a guy who's running with the Rat Pack, born and raised in Harlem. That's right. So there's a lot of history there that people are just not aware of, and there's no place where you can readily see that. There's no place that brings that to life. Sure, you can go to the library anywhere right. and do the research. But to physically see it. Yeah. Yeah, you're on Google now. Right. But what I wanted to create was an interactive experience where you can go in and visualize the sounds, the feels, the essence of mm -hmm. what was happening throughout the years. Yeah. From the Harlem Renaissance with the James Baldwin's, right? The, the Bo Jangles. Right. These people that take you all straight up through Dipset. 
Right. And even now that Tiana Taylor That's right. and everything else happening. Sure. In Harlem, there's a lot there to unpack. Right. And then, and I when I every time I think about it, it makes me nervous because it's a huge undertaking, right? And it, and it's one of those things that everyone is so close to. Right. So that the minute somebody goes in there and say, Oh wait, oh oh, oh hell no, this ain't <laughs> So I gotta get it right. You right. know how I'll keep it right. Oh yeah, yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, oh, man, man, listen, you already know, man. Why, why, why they don't have right. You know what I mean? Like everyone has somebody. Everybody's everybody got somebody. Someone should be in there. Right. So what you have to understand is we're not gonna roll out everything initially. That's why when you look at the documentary special that we're doing, and we only did that because, you know, we're we're still in the pandemic, right? Right. Things are slowly easing out right now, but for the most part, we're still in the pandemic. Right. The reason why we actually, last year, we were going to launch this in 2020. Mm-hmm. And our whole goal at the top of the year was like... Then we started losing people. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing. It's like, okay, let's push this. We're going to make it virtual. Let's push it to 2021. Right. Time of 21, we started looking at what we we're going to do this year. And we said, you know what? Even though we're easing out of the pandemic, we're not there yet. And right. this is earlier in the year. So this is like February. Right. And it was like, well, do we want to do an event? It's like, no, we don't want to do an event. Um, just because we're still there. And a lot of our honorees are kind of up there in age. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't want to push it because I pushed it last year and we lost David Dinkins. That's right. That's right. We, we lost Cicely Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. Born yeah. and raised in Harlem. Yes, she was. Yeah. Yes, so she was. So when you start looking at Arna Reeves, you know, Congressman Charlie Rangel, he's, he's still a tiger, but he's at their age. He's like right. 90 years old. Absolutely. Lady Williams is, you know, he, he's up there too. He's in the golden years. That's right. 80, 85 plus, right? right? So when you start looking at this, it's like, do we want to push the year? I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to, I, you just, you never know. <laughs> you, just, you, know you, you don't wish that on anybody. But right, same, right. You want to be able, you want to be able to present this in a way where they can actually receive the flowers while they're alive. Absolutely. Yeah. And be able to receive their award. Right. So we're going to induct everybody uh, this year during a virtual documentary special. Well, I got to ask you something about, before we go to the induction part of it, I got to ask you this. Um, you have a stellar career, right? I know you're very modest about it, you know, so you know how the Brooklyn guys, they go, hey, Harlem, man, listen, we got to talk about you, bro. Um, tell me how you got into, let's go back for a minute. How did you get into entertainment? Um, my first professional job was an internship at right. 40 Acres Mill. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that, I was producing a, I, I had an interest in TV. Okay. I had an interest in media. Um, and I was influenced by shows like Yo! MTV Raps um, and Pump It Up, right. Lee Barnes. Um, so when it came time for public access, you know, I I was um, I was down for it. Right, right. Was like, yeah, this is, yeah I, I had a public access show and I had on people to perform, family, friends, they'd come on and perform and stuff. So I guess my mother kind of saw that in me, like, oh, this is what he, he's interested in. And one day she called me and she was like, hey, pick up the paper. Um, I'm looking at the paper now and 40 acres in the mill, Spike Lee, they're offering internships. 
So I was like, oh, okay. Um, so I, I, I did all the necessary, whatever, whatever. Right. And maybe about, it felt like seven, eight interviews for an unpaid in internship. <laughs> right, right. You know? uh, I got the internship. And when I started working there, I was assigned to, I started working on Jungle Fever. Okay. Great time, movie. Great movie. Great movie. And at the time, it was, it was just a lot going on. 40 Acres at the time. Mm-hmm. They were actually posting Mo Better Blues, which was going to premiere that summer. Okay. While we were getting ready to start shooting Jungle Fever. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Spike is writing Malcolm X, which they're going to shoot next year. It was a machine. And in the meantime, he's shooting commercials and doing everything oh, else. Sure. Yeah. It was a machine. Um, but the one thing I noticed, so here's the thing, and, and here's a quick um, gem for folks out there looking mm-hmm. to get into media or any kind of business. You know, find an opportunity to get your foot in the door. Internship is one of the best ways to do that. Right. Um, there you'll find out whether that dream job that you think is your dream is really a dream or a nightmare. Like you'll you'll understand very quickly whether you want to be in that business or not. Right. Right. Um, I knew then and there working at Forty Acres that I did want to be in that business, but at the time I didn't necessarily think film um, was my path. But what was it and like working for Spike though? You know, somebody got fired every day, and and mm-hmm. Spike wasn't doing the firing. Right. You know, right. They were like. <laughs> <laughs> but there was folks around him. Right, right, right. Right. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I'm gonna tell you that that soundtrack, man, for um, Jungle Fever, uh, Stevie Wonder did Stevie the soundtrack. Wonder. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Yeah. Let, 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 let me go back to yeah. that environment. It was it was a hot environment. Mm-hmm. Somebody got fired every day, um, but. When you're in that kind of environment right. and you really care, if you don't care, then you don't care if you may be fired, you know, whatever. Right. If you do care, you're going to double check everything. You're going to be very careful and very serious about any task given. Um, and when and when that's the energy coming into the gate, I kind of kept that energy right. throughout, you know, Um because it's, it's some place you wanted to be. You wanted to be a part of something special. Forty Acres is something special. Right. You know what I mean? It yeah. just wasn't like the things that they were doing. Things that Spike was doing in, in film and TV back then are still not being done. That's right. Still not to this day. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Does that still look like that? Yeah. No, the, the closest machine to that is like a Tyler Perry. Right. Right. You know. But but or BT back in the day, exactly. BT back in the day that looked like that. Unbelievable, man! Unbelievable. So now I'm, you, I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm gonna give you. A Go ahead, man. You you got the time. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, look. Now that we don't broke the barriers of Harlem and Brooklyn, so now you can go ahead and do your thing. <laughs> so look, I told you prior yeah. to Forty Acres, right? I was producing a public access show, mm-hmm. right? So, mind you. I got fired every day in that fight for whatever. Right. I remember one time, quick, quick kind of pre-story to my story. Yeah. One time there was, someone was on a walkie and they said, Hey, we need you saw Jungle Fever, right? Absolutely, yeah. But there's the scene with um Ozzy and Ruby D. Yes. Right? At their apartment. That's right. Flipper. Flipper comes home for dinner. That's right. That's right. I think this is a matter of fact. And he started doing his dance. 
<laughs> so, so right when we was prepping that scene, there was a call on the walkie like, "Yo, we need fruit. We need fruit on the set right now." And it was frantic. Right. And at the time, the security was being done by the fruit of Islam. Ah, uh, okay. So somebody sent the fruit. They sent the the security up to the set. <laughs> <laughs> Out of here! Unbelievable! Wow! 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 (laughs) Honest mistake. You calling for fruit? Sounds a little frantic. We sent security up there. Right. I didn't know you. I I didn't know you actually needed fruit for the set. Like that. Sit on the table. Right. Right. I'm just setting the tone. There you go. There you go. I had the public access show. So back then, the shows were cut on three quarter. Right. Big tape, right? Three quarter inch tapes. Right. So in the editing, the editing was done at um, Forty Acres, the headquarters on the cow. I think it's one twenty. Right across the street from um, uh, Brooklyn Hospital. LIU. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Brooklyn Hospital across the street from LIU. Excellent. Yeah. Um. So three quarter inch tape. So my man Leander, who was an intern as well, I believe he wasn't an intern; he was a PA, who went on to be a, a director as well. Okay. I believe it everything. So I asked him, I said, yo, can you dub these tapes for me over there? Like, because I didn't other I didn't have any other way to transfer them to like a VHS to see them at home. Gotcha. So he was dubbing them for me, right? You're familiar with what dailies are. Absolutely. So dailies, you know, whenever we shoot, have a day of production, whatever we shot today, tomorrow, when we're done at the set, we'll go to LIU and we'll watch the dailies of what it'll be footage of what we shot the prior day. Right. So I'm like weeks into, I'm chilling, I'm good. Um, and after dailies that day, I'm walking out and Halle Berry is walking out at the same time. Remember, this is Halle's first film. That's right. If not first, is one of the first. I believe it was her first. It might have been her first yeah. thing. So she's walking out and she's actually, I think she's staying in Brooklyn and she was just kind of talking you know, you're walking out and you're just talking like, oh, it's such a nice day. I wonder what's going on. I was like, I don't know what's going on. So we just standing there talking. Right? And yeah. it's not even like, oh my God, it's Halle Berry because she's so new. You don't know who she is. Exactly. But she still looks the same. She's still Halle Berry, right? Right, right. So I'm standing there <laughs> talking and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Like, yeah, just, just talking to Halle. And the next thing you know, Monty Ross, the producer, walks up and he's like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And the way he said it, Wow. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't be talking to Howie. It's like when somebody walks in the room and says, like, you said like this, and you're like... <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I said, yeah, 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 what's up? He's like, are you... Do you have somebody dubbing something for you in the in post? And at that moment, Man. I'm thinking of my exit strategy, right? I'm like, <laughs> I know I'm about to get fired, right? This is it. <laughs> I, know, I know I'm about to get fired. So I'm in that moment, in, in a pause that was really like maybe five or 10 seconds, it felt like an hour. Wow. Because I'm trying to think, like, is there anything at the office? Do I need to go get something? Or can I just leave here and just go straight to the train and just never come back? And find, and find a box and throw your stuff in the box and cut out, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to go back to the office and be like, yo, I just got fired. So I'm, right. I'm just thinking like, and then I'm like, do I just lie and be like, nah, that ain't me. 
But then I don't want to get Leander in trouble because right. like, I asked him to do it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fessed up. It's me. It's yeah, me. Man, yeah. yes, yeah. It is me. Mm-hmm. He was like, that's your TV show. I said, yes. He said, yo, keep up the good job, man. Keep wow. up the good work. You did a good job with it. He said, do you want to go into TV? I was like, yeah, I was, I was considering it. Um, wow. He was like, well, well, uh, that, what you're doing looks professional. It looks like you've been doing it for years. If you haven't, keep up the great work. And he walked off. Wow. Wow. That right, that, that right there was confirmation. And I, I knew at that point, because I was, because towards the end of the film, everyone's contemplating, like, yo, he's getting ready to do X. Like, is everybody going to hop on X? Right. And I kind of knew that the film thing wasn't, you know, because the turnaround, like, I, I needed more immediate gratification. I wanted to be able to shoot something and see it on air right. quicker right. than the turnaround right. that film allotted. But I didn't have anything popping on, TV, on the TV side. So I was kind of like going along with the flow, like with the X thing. When he said that, that was confirmation. Like, oh, no, nah, I got to go. That was it. Yeah. I got to go do this thing. Over. Yeah. yeah. That's good, man. I mean, and incredible. That, that my TV career. I've yeah. Been doing TV ever since, you know? Wow. Now, how did you how did you get into? Because I I was thinking about questions to ask you, and I don't really, I don't write down questions. I just it's all freestyle. You know how we do in New York, man. Everything is freestyle, so off the head. Like you said, when you're in the city, you're from New York, it flows. So you know, I can't sit here and write questions down and look at you like you know what am I gonna ask him today? But I want to know is <laughs> with how did you get into um, how did you become an executive? or a program executive at BET. How did you get into BET? How did that work? Oh, that was, that was my next step. You mm-hmm. know, the, really initially, I met a, who met me first? I met Keith Pichal. Keith okay. Pichal was already actually at BET. Mm. He's the one that kind of looked at what I had done, public access, yep. and then really positioned me to really be prepared to work at BET. I'm not a communications major. Never took any communication classes in my life. You just had that um, gift, man. You had that gift. Yeah. And that's a gift. That's a gift, man. You can't pay for it. There's no, no yeah. amount of money or uh, training when something is given to you like that, that you can just pick up and make things happen. You can't, you can't learn yeah, that in school. But, but, you know, it's, uh, like I was very interested in it. So I, I, the time I spent researching was just really absorbing everything. So once Keith Pichel kind of right. prepared me for it, an opportunity with the Lathan Hodge to actually come into the building was really what got me in the building. Wow. And in terms of becoming, and this is in DC. Mm-hmm. So Keith Pichel and, and Lathan Hodge, they like very instrumental in the making of me. So, so, and, and that's, that those two people start the making of who I am gotcha. on the on the TV side, and there's a few people. There's there's a short handful of people that contribute to that making of me, making of who I am in terms of my career, what I've been able to do. Right. But it starts with those two guys, um, Keith Michelle and, and Lathan Hodge. Incredible. Um, but in terms of you know how did I become an executive? I I I've never. Some people that's their goal when they get into the building. I want to be a director. 
I want to be a, I want to be the director of this department. I want to move up. I want to be a vice president of this, and then I want to move up and do. That was never really. I told you, I'm, I'm focused on the business side of things. So I was always right. enamored about with the moves that Bob Johnson was making at the time. Exactly. You know, the, the way the way Bob Johnson was moving, mm-hmm. he was moving like the the Black Walt Disney. Oh yeah. Um, at back then. Right. You know, and, and that's that's what I was looking at. Like I'm not trying to, to rise up in the ranks, Bob Johnson. I'm I'm trying to keep what you're doing and go do it right myself. You know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Like everything that I've seen that I've kinda liked, I've kinda gone and done it, recreated it in my own space and that's Okay. How I move. So Right. It's that I'm Harlem swag, man. It's that Harlem swag. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is, you know, mm-hmm. from a from a producer standpoint, right. I always felt like because I didn't like back then, BT was damn near. You had Howard University undergrad, then you had grad, then you had BT. Right. It's kind of like the next step. So everyone was coming out of like Howard School of Communication and going straight there. Right. So with that, they they logged numerous hours in media mm-hmm. in terms of their education behind it. I didn't have that. So I always felt like I need to twice as hard. I, I gotta get in here. If if, if the workout work day is ten to six, I'm in there at eight. Right. I'm out of there at ten. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and that's the way I move. I was in there at eight researching, studying, watching clips, watching footage. I'm watching tape like an athlete watches tapes, researching, you know, I'm, every day. Right. right. But I'm enjoying it. You know, it's not work. But it just I just wanted to be better. I just wanted to be really good. Um, and I just focused on making great content and developing a style. And mm-hmm. for a while, I just never had a reel. Like I've never had a reel in my life. Wow. Um, just because of, you know, it's like what they, what they say, no matter what the field is, when you do great work, people are watching and they, they'll reach out to you and they'll, they'll They'll find you. Yeah, you know, it just crossed my mind when you said that. I'm thinking like, you know what, man? With this whole Harlem Hall of Fame situation, I really believe, and I don't know if you're going to agree with me, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that they should induct you into the Harlem Hall of Fame. <laughs> no, I'm serious, man, because listen, you've done, you've done great things, man. I mean, when you do great things, you deserve to be recognized. That's just my opinion. You know, I, I appreciate that. I, I personally feel like the story's still being written. I, I feel like I'm just now getting to a place where I can manipulate communications and right. things so that I can benefit and kind of put a dent in the culture the way I want to. Right. Um, I always felt like there's a there's always going to be, you know, where we are not a monolithic people. You know what I mean? So right. there's, there's, there's always going to be segments of the culture and demos within the culture who are not being serviced. Um, and there's interests in mind that I don't see uh, represented. You know, I don't see us represented. Absolutely. On the Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's always been my goal to really try to present a place where like-minded people, people who like the same things I like. Right. All right, so I want to thank you for coming on, man. It's it's been a pleasure um, working with you and talking to you and learning so much about BET, learning about, a lot about the Harlem Hall of Fame. It's been a wonderful experience. 
I'd like to thank Mr. John Mark Sander for, for just being the great guest that you are, man. And we mended yeah. Brooklyn and Harlem together. So <laughs> <laughs> we good, we good yeah, there you go, man. Hold on one second. All right.